welcome to Fast Talk, the Velo News podcast and everything you need to know to ride like a pro. Hello and welcome to or welcome back to Fast Talk. I'm your host, Chris Case, Managing Editor of Velo News, joined today, as always, by Coach Trevor Connor. Those who take their training and racing seriously are always looking for something to give them that edge, that marginal gain. The obvious and easiest fixes are often equipment upgrades, lighter bikes, aerodynamic wheels, and then some people turn to nutritional supplements. So much has been promised to us in pill form, it's engendered a multi-billion dollar industry. There's a pill, it seems, to make everything better. Those promises carry into enhanced endurance performance, and many athletes have resorted to the morning supplement cocktail, believing it will make them better cyclists. But there is a dark side here. Those cocktails can actually hurt performance, they certainly affect health in different ways, and they can lead to even darker, ethically challenged places. Today we're going to talk about supplements, our concerns with them, and then cover a few foods that actually do work according to the science. We'll discuss. First, we thought about bashing all the supplements that don't work, but then we realized we only have an hour for this program. So instead, Trevor is going to read a description of every supplement that does work. That list, combined with a discussion of its sources, will cover a mere three minutes. Then we'll talk about supplements in general and why they can be a big concern. With those concerns in context, we'll start addressing things that have been proven to help, starting with pickle juice. Next on our list is beetroot juice, which can not only help performance, but has been shown to have health benefits as well. Believe it or not, we're going to talk about my favorite, chocolate, or more specifically, the active ingredient, cocoa flavonoids, which also have both performance and health benefits. That, of course, leads to something that frequently comes up in the sports nutrition literature, chocolate milk. It's as effective as most recovery mixes, it turns out. So, the question becomes, how effective are those mixes? We'll discuss. Finally, we'll revisit the ketogenic diet, and specifically, supplementing with ketone esters. Primary guest today is Ryan Kohler friend of ours at the program here, friend of ours at Vela News. He is the manager of the University of Colorado Sports Medicine and Performance Center. He holds a master's degree in sports nutrition and exercise science. Ryan has helped us, Trevor and I, that is, with many previous articles, including our Dirty Kanza work, our hour record work, behind the scenes stuff. We're excited to have him on the program today, even though he comes off as a little bit shy, he knows his stuff and he has a wealth of knowledge in the field. In addition, we'll hear from world-renowned coach Joe Friel, author of the definitive book on training, The Cyclist Training Bible. We asked Joe his opinion about supplementation based on decades of training. We'll also hear from professional cyclist Rebecca Rush and Apex coaching owner Neil Henderson, the personal coach of world time trial champion Rowan Dennis. They'll each give us their thoughts on supplements and a few things they've found that work. As always, if you have a minute, please take the time to rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get our podcast. And keep those emails coming. We have a dedicated Fast Talk address. We'd love to hear from you. We'd like your questions, your comments, your suggestions. Reach us at fasttalk at velonews.com. Now, gather that pickle juice. Get all the beet juice you can. 
especially get some chocolate, some really nice dark chocolate. Maybe even some ketone esters if you have those things laying around your cupboard. Eat them up as we discuss. Let's make it fast. This episode of Fast Talk is brought to you by Normatech. Dial in the most advanced recovery for your body with Normatech's patented compression massage technology. Riders like Taylor Finney, Tom Skunj, and the BMC Racing Team all rely on Normatech to get them through the daily grind of professional cycling. Normatech increases circulation, rejuvenates muscles, and reduces soreness so you can train harder and race faster. Stop by the Normatech tent at the Colorado Classic to try for yourself and feel what everyone is talking about. We are sitting down here today with two nutrition gurus, in a sense. Trevor has so much experience with nutrition from his education, as well as just a passion for it. And then Ryan, as well, has both of those things, I would say, a passion for it and and um, a lot of education in the nutrition world. And we're talking about nutrition supplements, which, as we've seen in the past on this program, and you clearly see in the world, people have really strong feelings about nutrition. And it seems you wait long enough. The thing that was good for you last week is bad for you this week. And there's a lot of misinformation out there, but we want to try to stick to as much of the science as we can today. And is it a Mythbusters show? Not really. There's some things that we want to touch upon that listeners have asked us about. Is this for real? Yeah, I mean, we went into this wanting to take a bunch of these and just say, no, you idiot. Why are you taking this? What is wrong with you? Right. And we're going to try to get through about five, six products. I'm not sure. Some are supplements. Some are just actual foods, nutrition. And the ones that we got hit with a lot are actually the ones that, that seem to have something behind them. So I'm not sure this is a Mythbusters. Right. We're going to go through a whole list. And uh, there's certainly some that at one point or another, myself or Ryan might have issues with. But there's still something to them. There's still some research to back them. But we don't want to give this idea that, that supplementation is the way to go. I'm going to give you my bias. And for the most part, I think you should get most of what you need through a good, healthy diet. And you don't need supplementation. And when you go into the supplement store, it's not like they're going to tell you, yeah, 99% of the stuff on our walls are crap. Why would right. <laughs> they're going to tell you everything's got some benefits. So before this, I went and found this table. This was put together by the Australian Institute of Sport, along with uh, Dr. Louise Burke, who's considered one of the top sports nutritionists out there. And she took all the different supplements and put them into categories in terms of how much science really backs this. Uh, and she had high level of evidence, moderate level of evidence, low level of evidence, and then prohibited supplements. And this is in terms of their benefits, the right. amount of science backing it. Yeah. So high level of evidence, meaning there's pretty convincing science saying these are beneficial for you. Here is the extensive list. Beta alanine, sodium bicarbonate, caffeine, creatine, beetroot juice. That's a list. The moderate level of evidence, fish oils, carnitine, I can never pronounce this, curcumin, glucosamine, glutamine, HMB, another one I can never pronounce, quercetin, vitamin C and E, tart cherry juice. And then for low level of evidence, it's basically, it actually says supplements not found in the other two categories. Mm. 
And certainly you're not saying on even on those that are in the, there's a lot of science backing this up, don't go out and just start pumping pills into your body and, and eating all of these things at once. Ryan, what, what would you say to that? Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm a little bit biased too. And I think that list is great. And it sort of shows what we're, what we're trying to do is compartmentalize these a little bit to know like, where's the stuff that we can sort of put a couple dollars to or, and, and what do we just need to stay away from? But I think like, like Trevor mentioned earlier, it's, I have that initial bias too of sort of ah, don't waste your money, but um, there are some that, yeah, they have benefit and it's, it's a matter of really just that individual piece. Will it work for you? And, and um, I also subscribe to let's focus on food first. And then in addition to that, if we're focusing on food, you know, we can, we can hit a lot of the check boxes that way, but then also just those other life things, you know, that I think with a lot of the research that's out there that show that supplements, a certain supplement may work. It's hard to control for all the variables too. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, you're stressed one day, you're not another. Maybe it shows that a supplement works on the day you're not stressed, you know, and it's hard to control that. But yeah, being able to compartmentalize things a little bit like this, we can cut our list down a little bit and say, yeah, we feel pretty good about these. But mm-hmm. I mean, the stimulants, caffeine, beta alanine, I'd even throw taurine in there. I mean, put it together, it, that works. Seems yeah. like most of the time that does something good. Others? So there's definitely some benefits. A lot of these you can actually get through foods, and I always recommend that. Uh, part of my issue, issue with supplementation is the fact that sometimes it leads to dramatic overconsumption of a supplement. And, and we definitely have this belief of more is better. Right. And that's rarely the case with supplements. More tends to be, hey, you just went past being really beneficial for you to now it's going to cause you problems. Detrimental, yeah. And there's also just how everything interacts. So one of the classic examples is you look at calcium. Everybody's taking lots of calcium supplements for bone health, but calcium is prioritized over magnesium and iron uh, for absorption. So if you're taking big calcium supplements, you can start having issues with getting sufficient magnesium and iron. Magnesium is critical for heart health. And so, and th- there's plenty of studies, and we'll actually get to this when we talk about chocolate milk. There's a lot of studies out there showing that overconsumption or oversupplementation with calcium actually leads to heart problems. Mm-hmm. You always talk about the body wanting to be in a state of homeostasis, and by oversupplementing, you're throwing things out of whack potentially. It could throw you out of whack. Generally, what happens is your body just says, that's too much. I'm not going to absorb it. So everybody talks about supplements that are just expensive pee. <laughs> there is some truth to that. But the issue I was getting at with calcium is we everything has to be transported into your system. There are specific transporters for everything that you consume. And rarely is there a transporter that only transports one thing. It usually transports a few things. So you get what's called competitive absorption. Mm-hmm. So the, the example I just gave to keep it simple is it's basically the same transport for calcium, magnesium, and iron. And calcium seems to get prioritized. So if you consume the three together, you're going to consume, absorb a lot more calcium and not enough of the others. Right. This is one of the issues with taking a multivitamin. What you're going to end up with is overabsorption of some things and dramatic underabsorption of other things. And that could actually lead to health issues. And even I'll even go on the uh, kind of back us out of the rabbit hole maybe a little bit. Please. <laughs> the uh, On the consumer side. So with uh, some of the supplements, he said like overabsorption. If, you, if we do like, well, it's a little bit of the science, but with some of the science, they have certain... Um, dosage, you know, there's a dose response. And if you get a certain dosage in a, in a study, we can look at two, three, four different supplements out there and they may not even give you the same dosage. So then it becomes really a waste of money too, Mm -hmm. from the consumer standpoint too, you know? 
And then you can also get into what forms are you consuming. And so let's we'll quickly go down this rabbit hole and then we can <laughs> jump away. But when we talk about a calcium supplement, are you talking about calcium citrate? Are you talking about calcium malate? There, there's a bunch of different forms. And I always love when I, I read about what is the best form for you to consume of a particular nutrient or mineral or, or vitamin. What's the best form is always what's available naturally in, the food. in, in fruits and vegetables <laughs> or meats or whatever you're consuming. Yeah. And then I'll look at what is the form that's in the vitamins, and it's usually the cheapest, which is the le- one of the less bio- bioavailable forms. Mm-hmm. In our next episode, we're going to talk with legendary coach Joe Friel about periodization. But while we were having that conversation with him, the subject of supplements came up, and we couldn't resist asking him his opinion. What's your your feeling about supplements in general? And are there any that you think work or or on the flip side, any that you think should be really avoided? Yeah, basically, I think athletes should avoid all all of those um, supplements. There's a significant amount of research that shows that some of the ones that are relatively benign actually have some doping products involved in them also simply because they're, they're produced on the same production lines as some of these other uh, supplements that are illegal uh, for, for athletes to use. And so I think athletes put themselves at risk of being found uh, positive for something that, that's primarily for the, for the pros. I, I suggest they just not use these things. And, and quite honestly, st- some of the stuff that we've, all, we've thought for years is very beneficial has actually been proven to be not beneficial at all. And in, fa- in fact, in some cases, have been proven to be detrimental to performance. Uh, take vitamin E, for example. Yeah. Um, Vitamin B. There's some there's some vitamin B studies that, that don't really show very good things about it. Fish oil, which we've talked about for decades as being healthy, are now being shown to have no benefit at all. And we go down the line. This it really doesn't come down to supplements. It comes down to diet. That's what it's all about: eating real food, not taking pills to uh, to satisfy whatever you think your needs may be. Because athletes are usually wrong about what their needs are. Mm-hmm. And they're just guessing, taking things that are totally useless, and in some cases may be detrimental not only to performance, but also to testing for, for doping. I didn't want to steer you, but I was hoping that was the answer you were going to give, so thank you. <laughs> sure. So now that you've heard a few of us warn against supplements, let's dive into a few foods that have been shown to have benefits. Well... All that being said, since we've just sort of bashed supplements a little bit, let's go to some of the supplements that we actually have some some reasonably sound science on and that have some benefits. Do we have to go away from bashing? I'm enjoying this. <laughs> you could bash. Right, do you have anything you else bash. you want to put down? <laughs> let's talk about wheat, Trevor. Ooh. No, let's not do that. We've talked about that enough. We know how No, Trevor that feels. one's not at any point involved in this conversation. We, we, we've had that one. The only last thing I will add is I did read an interesting study, which I've been trying to find because it was such a good study, and I, I get upset when I lose these things. But they looked at what leads professional athletes to go down a path towards doping. And what they said is, rarely do you have an athlete who's clean and then just going to say, yep, sign me up. I'll, I'll take whatever doping products. Uh, usually there's steps along the way, and, and it starts with the doctor of whatever team getting the athlete very reliant on supplements because they find once they're reliant on supplements the that jump to doping is actually a pretty small step if it's if it's in the context of like this is this is quote unquote medicine or medical needed for your health right yeah something something along those lines yeah yeah that small gap it is interesting because you can 
we look at one supplement like caffeine by itself, but then if we put that together with other supplements, we can get this enhanced response. And I think closes that gap, makes it a little bit uh, easier to make that jump. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And caffeine's still one of my favorites. It is performance enhancing, but they have shown it's really only up to 200 milligrams. But when they first did the research to show that it was performance enha- enhancing, cyclists jumped all over it. And they would be taking like a thousand milligrams before races. And I miss those days because you'd line up at the start line. There'd always be somebody just sitting there kind of shaking and just looking around, <laughs> looking really jittery and be like, how you doing, dude? He'd be like, what, what, what do you want? <laughs> it just about kill you on the start line. So performance enhancing, but anybody who's taking caffeine pills, the, the research is saying above 200 milligrams, you're just wasting your money. Let me tell a little story. I have a lot of food quirks. I can't say I've ever had a pickle in my life, but there are some people out there that love their pickle juice <laughs> so much so that there's a product now, the products probably called pickle juice. And let's talk about pickle juice. I have been staying at Chris's place for the last four nights, and I've had a few times I was sitting there in his kitchen making something, and Chris just kind of comes in and goes, oh, you're you're eating that? <laughs> you should have seen me when I was a little kid. Oh, my God. The, 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 there were three things that I ate. We won't, we won't have to go into this right now, but offline, we'll have a discussion about how weird I was as a kid. <laughs> Anyways. Sorry, what's changed? <laughs> I ate a lot of stuff. You saw me eat sushi. I did see you. That's, you suggested it. That's pretty weird. Okay. In the grand scheme of foods you can eat. Anyways, pickle juice. Pickle juice. Have at it. Guys, I know nothing about pickle juice. I won't even eat a pickle. Well, I've had pickles. Have you, Trevor? <laughs> I have had pickles. <clears throat> yeah. I will admit to that. Yeah. So this one, I'm just going to start it off and then hand it to Ryan with, uh, go back and listen to our episode about cramping. I can't remember which episode that num- number that was, but it was about a year ago because we talked about the mechanisms that cause cramping. And here's the spoiler for the episode if here's you haven't the, listened to it yet. This is the Mythbusters part right here. It was here. the Mythbusters. Do you remember what the, what the myth was? That cramping is caused by electrolyte deficiency. Right. That has been debunked. So it is something called altered neuromuscular control. It is essentially a alteration in your neuromuscular system that causes an imbalance between your Golgi tendons and your proprioceptors, which I won't go into too much. But basically, one causes your muscles to relax, one causes your muscles to contract. They're supposed to be in balance. They get out of balance and your muscle just goes uh, and tightens up. So supposedly, pickle juice helps with this. I've gone to pickles before to address cramping. Well, you haven't, Chris, I know. No, I have not. (laughs) But Trevor, I'm sure you may have. (laughs) Yeah, I can't really say from use if I felt like it worked, but it, um, I know some of the research that's, that's out there with some of the supplements, uh, you know, in pickle juice, it does, it works on that neuromuscular level and it needs to, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it goes. Well, so the, (laughs) the bioactive component is what's called acetic acid which seems to cause a a neurological relaxation in the muscles. They thought it was because of the huge sodium content in the pickle juice. And actually, they did some really creative studies with this where they they just took a a saline solution with equivalent levels of, of sodium in it to pickle juice and experimented on cramping with pickle juice versus the, mm-hmm. the, the sodium solution and, and found the sodium solution didn't help at all. Do the studies say how effective it is? Does it work for everyone across the board more so than the control or is it a case-by-case type of thing? Cramping itself is really a case-by-case. Even the, the research on the neuromuscular control 
theory uh, has shown that, that there, there's wide variance. And for some people, there are solutions that really work. For other people, not at all. Uh, and then there's some people just cramp because it's part of the, the sport. They're just a little out of shape and went too hard. Mm. Uh, other people, they actually have health issues. So, no, it's not going to be universal. Right. And one of those solutions, right, is uh, stretching, right? One of the simple Correct. ones? So, as I remember, it's the Golgi tendon that gets overactivated. And it can only be activated when the muscle is in a shortened position. So if you lengthen the muscle or even better yet, stretch it, it's actually impossible for the Golgi tendon to activate and the cramp will go away. Or just drink your pickle juice. There you go. Put it in the water <laughs> bottle. <laughs> so the next supplement is something else that I can't stand. Beetroot juice. Uh, tastes like dirt to me. Tastes disgusting. Not a big fan. But there's some science to say that it may have some benefits. Shall we discuss? Well, I thought you covered it. It tastes awful. Let's move on. <laughs> Chocolate milk, anybody? Hey, now we're talking. No pain, so, no gain. You gotta yeah, swallow something through. horrible. I mean, some so people some people love it. Some people love beets and beetroot juice. What's that? What's that medication that their their whole slogan is? It tastes awful, so it must be good. I don't know. It's like Buckley's. <laughs> I was about to say it's, it's, it's a cough syrup that just really is absolutely horrible. It's been around a hundred years. You forget your something about it makes you forget that you're, you're supposed sick. to cough because yeah. <laughs> because it's so disgusting. But as I remember, their their slogan was something like "It tastes awful, so it must work." Huh. So interesting. That's what we'll say about beetroot. That's how I feel about it. Have you taken it? Have I taken it in an acute sense before a race? I don't think I have. I do have a really good story about beetroot juice, though. Three three or four years ago, at um, when Cyclocross Masters Cyclocross Worlds was in Louisville, Kentucky, I was sharing a room with Leonard Zinn. This was right around the time that it seemed like beetroot juice was getting super popular. And Leonard being Leonard, he didn't buy a bottle of beetroot juice. He brought beets and he brought a giant blender all the way to Louisville. And we were staying in a nice hotel called the Galt House. It's the official, you know, official hotel of the, of the race. All white or cream interior. And I wake up in the morning to this racket. What the heck is going on? And I go into the bathroom. Into the shower stall is Leonard with what looks like a murdered a murder scene. <laughs> he is in the shower with his blender and beets. And of course, you know, lo and behold, he's in a white place. The top float flew off and beetroot juice is everywhere in this hotel room. <laughs> so there's my story about beetroot juice. He didn't give me any. I'm not sure if he had any himself because it was on the walls at that point. But there's my story. <laughs> So he didn't know if it actually worked. <laughs> yeah. No, he was a big proponent. I, you know, Leonard isn't racing anymore. I do know people, go figure, it's Boulder. I do know people that I wouldn't say are fanatic, fanatical about it, but they do take it. So let's get into the science. Is, yeah. there, any, is there any truth to um, the fact that beetroot juice has some performance benefits? With the beet juice, it does seem to have some good support because uh, people tend to feel, I think, that vasodilatory effect where we can increase blood flow and oxygen to the to the tissues, and um, it seems to be pretty well supported by the research. You know, one of the keys is uh, the dosage. You know, and from what I've seen, there's a pretty wide range of doses that have been used, 
And depending which supplement you look at, it seems like you can find some variability there. You know, I think it's, it's again, with, with supplements, until we know better, it might, it's really, you have to test it out. And, and uh, more developed athletes may need a little bit more. You know, amateurs, maybe not as much, or if you're doing it for the first time, but still a lot of questions out there. I guess it would also be hard to, uh, or not hard, but there, there's juice that you can literally, literally drink. There are capsule form, there's powder form, there's, there's different methods of ingesting it. So that probably affects how it's absorbed, its effectiveness, et cetera. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I've had probably the most experience with the liquid forms, you know, and I don't know, maybe... Trevor, if you have more thoughts on the powder or any other delivery methods, but it seems like the main point with that is when you get it in, it needs to start in the mouth as far as that, uh, the physiological response that's going to occur. Mm. So, um, so no beetroot juice suppositories is what you're saying. I haven't heard of those yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if you, yeah, if you take it, you know, I know one of the things is, is don't spit or mouthwash after oh, really? that. Oh, really? Okay. Because that's where that process begins, that absorption process mm. where you transition. I know Trevor wants to talk about this, so I'm just going to let him go from uh, the nitrate to nitrite. Uh, well, just... so do we We want to dive into that, the, the physiological mechanism? Let's do it, yeah. So let, let's clarify this. We just looked this up because Chris asked me what is the difference between beets and beetroot, and the, it says in Wikipedia... The beetroot is the taproot portion of the beet plant. Uh, none of us are botanists. We have no idea what a taproot is. <laughs> so we think they're different. We just don't know. I mean, the, the, obviously, you're not eating the leafy greens of, of the beet that are, I would assume, protruding above ground. That's you're eating right. the root portion, which is the red portion that we're all kind of more familiar with. I... But the gist of this is... There is a conversion process. So the, the beet contains a lot of nitrates, so NO3 negative. So the key component in the beetroot or the beet or whatever the taproot is, is it's high in nitrates. So when you consume it, there's actually enzymes in your saliva, in your mouth that uh, break the nitrates down into nitrites, which you then consume. And then in your gut, the nitrites are then further broken down into nitric oxide, which I've been told is a silly Canadian pronunciation. <laughs> so you're just going to have to deal with it. Nitric oxide for those out there who speak American. It is the nitric oxide, A. <laughs> eh? Take off, hoser. Yeah. I was listening to Mike Myers this morning. <laughs> you know the whole Bohemian Rhapsody scene in... Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Wayne's uh, World. Wayne's World. Mm -hmm. That was something he used to do on the Gardner Expressway with his brother in Toronto. <laughs> there you go. So you could thank Canada for that. Thank you, Canada. You're welcome. So, okay. Tangent. So, nitric oxide, and this gets really complicated, so I'm going to try to simplify this as much as possible. I, I apologize if I oversimplify any of this. But nitric oxide is actually naturally produced by your muscles when they are exercising. So when your muscles get in a hypoxic state meaning that they are craving oxygen or they're consuming a lot of oxygen and not getting enough, their reaction is to release nitric oxide. Nitric oxide is a very powerful signaling molecule that then tells your body, need more oxygen here, do something about it. So as Ryan said, uh, one of the reaction is vasodilation around the, that muscle tissue. So it increases blood flow so that the muscles can get more oxygen. Vasodilation. <laughs> Listen, American, it's going to be a long podcast if you keep going after these things. <laughs> Just kidding. It also has other effects. It also actually improves glucose uptake. 
Um, it seems to actually help uh, the, the cross bridge functions of the muscles. So basically improve the contraction relaxation of, of the muscle. Uh, so there's a lot of immediate effects, but the end result here is it seems to improve efficiency. That means that at a given workload, the, you're going to need less oxygen. Mm -hmm. And they've done plenty of studies looking at uh, taking beetroot juice right before exercise and then putting people at a, a particular power, so usually right around threshold or VO2 max, and have shown that at that wattage, after the beetroot consumption, their oxygen consumption will go down. So they're just not quite working as hard. Hmm. to produce the same power. And so that's the definition of efficiency. And that's in an acute setting. So this is an immediate effect. Right. Well, somewhat immediate. So some of the studies showed no benefits, but those studies, they were taking the beetroot juice within 90 minutes. Hmm. So one of the big conclusions of a review that I read is you have to take it around 150 to 180 minutes beforehand to actually okay. get the benefit. Hmm. That's interesting. There's a timing component here. There is a big timing component. And like I said, their conclusion was that explains some of the negative studies. It's simply because they took it too close to the exercise and they didn't see the benefits. And is there any understanding of what the window is? When do, when do, those, when do you see those benefits go away? You seem to peak right around 180 minutes and then you'll see a slow decline. So if you really want to time it, you know, this is best for things like time trials for really high intensity events. Um, figure out what's 150 to 180 minutes before the point when you need to be at your best. Mm. And that's when you should take it. Hmm. Interesting. So everybody go out there, time it, get your beet juice in, do your race, do your workout, see how you feel and report back to Trevor and I, and uh, we collect all this data and it'll be published in science um, next year. Ooh, could it be one of our <laughs> guinea pig studies? It could be. Put Chris on a nothing but beetroot juice diet for uh, for a month. We're going to need what some uh, toilet pickles. paper sponsors for that one. <laughs> we are. Charmin, are you out there listening? No. Now, there also is actually a uh, chronic. Yes, tell us about the chronic dosage. Besides the need for... <laughs> yes, right. This is not solely a beetroot juice diet, but a beetroot supplementation over a, an extended period of time. And what are, what are the effects of that? What are the benefits of that? This is a little bit debated. Uh, what they believe is that chronic supplementation with beetroot juice, so at least six days. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the furthest I had read in any study was 15 days. Okay. Promotes what's called uh, mitogenesis. Uh, mito so it's basically further development of your mitochondria. So it might promote mitochondrial growth. It also seems to make mitochondria a little more efficient. Mm. Uh, if you remember, mitochondria are the aerobic engines of your muscles. That's where all the aerobic work is done. So the more and the more efficient your mitochondria are, the, the better an aerobic animal, the better a cyclist you're going to be. That's a, that's a big simplification. But it does seem from a lot of studies that there is some mitogenesis caused by beetroot juice supplementation. Hmm. But like I said, there was another, one study I did read where they, they took muscle biopsies and found that after seven days, there was absolutely no change in the mitochondria, even though they did demonstrate the improved efficiency. Uh, so they basically said, there's definitely improvements going on. We're just not sure it's mitogenesis. Hmm. In these studies that you're referencing, are they using a single source like the liquid form or is it more a capsule or do, do, you, do they not specify? Admittedly, I didn't have the time to dig down sure. that deep. 
Uh, and in fact, the, the only thing that I really found was they talked about how much you should take in terms of millimoles, which doesn't help anybody. Mm, right. So that's one place we're going to have to say, sorry, we don't quite have an answer on, on how much to take. But what I, I will say is, if you want to get into the shower with your blender, it's probably a lot cheaper <laughs> way to do it where you're going to get the yeah, benefits. Right. Whatever that tap root is, make sure you're blending that up. Mm-hmm. Pill form is probably fine. It's just probably a lot more expensive. I mean, if you're ingesting the pill and it's going straight to your gut, the process doesn't necessarily start in your mouth like you were talking about with the Actually, breakdown. that would be a really good point, is how much does it break down in your mouth? So potentially the pill form would not be as beneficial. Yeah. Chris, like way to go. Yeah, you know, I was listening. No, that's a fantastic point. The other point that they made is the, the typical dosage, which was the four to six millimoles, I think per liter or something like that, or just four to six millimoles, which... You're not going to find that on any label, so it really doesn't help you. And it's not millimoles of, of beetroot juice. It's how much it's mm. the how much nitrate it contains right. in order to see some sort of right. benefit. So I unfortunately don't know. Is there a way to convert that? To. Yeah, yeah. No, not at all. I did a little bit of side searching on that. It was first referenced in I think it was 0.1 to 0.2 millimoles per kilogram body okay. weight, but then they converted that, and I think it was roughly. 6 to 12 milligrams per kilo hmm. if that so it but it, then there was a, there was a range where you know it seemed between like 150 and 200 pound athlete they'd be somewhere between about 450 to roughly 1100 milligrams i think hmm. so it looks like and i think some of the supplements out there that seems to be at least the liquid supplements i've seen okay. seem to range between you know in there somewhere yeah yeah okay the other thing they showed in the research was that you saw less benefits in elite cyclists, and they really felt that's just because they need to consume more, hmm. as opposed to uh, they're just not going to see the adaptations. How expensive is beetroot juice? It's if not, you're it's putting not, it in the blender yourself, it's pretty cheap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, my understanding, I've never actually bought it in the, I, I've tried the, the blending mm-hmm. path. I've never actually bought the specific beetroot juice, but I have heard it's expensive, mm. which is why a lot of people choose to blend themselves. Mm-hmm. All right. So last thing I'm just going to quickly add to this, because I just think this is really cool, is looking at one of these processes in our body, the, uh, the importance of, of nitric oxide, because it is a very important signaling molecule. Uh, it actually has a lot of health benefits as well. They've shown benefits in cardiovascular disease, but basically when our bodies are not doing well working or when our muscles or cells are not doing well working aerobically, they aren't getting enough oxygen or or the the process is breaking down, uh, your body's going to start producing a lot of reactive oxygen species, which are bad. So nitric oxide is basically what your body releases to say, got to do something about this, improve oxygen delivery, do the things that need to happen here so that I don't have this huge buildup of uh, waste products that can be damaging. And when I was doing the research on beetroot juice, and also we'll get to uh, cocoa flavanols, this comes up a lot that there's real actual health benefits to your body releasing nitric oxide. And there was even one study I read that showed that they can measure nitric oxide levels in your blood to determine the level of oxidative stress and also to pre-screen for potential heart issues. So it's kind of cool. So health and performance. When we had Neil Henderson, the owner of Apex Coaching, and professional cyclist Rebecca Roosh on the show, 
We thought it would be very interesting to ask both a top coach and a top cyclist who participates in multi-day grueling events what they think of supplementation and what they might recommend. Neil and Rebecca had some interesting thoughts, including the importance of good nutrition and recovery above all else. So do you two have any thoughts on nutritional supplements in general? Are there any that you like, any you don't like? Do you avoid them? Do you think they're great? What's, what's your thoughts? This is Neil. Personally, I think there's a, a few things out there that can be a benefit. Uh, there's always a placebo effect uh, in anything. You know, we can just do a little sugar pill and t- tell somebody it's going to help them and it's going to make them go faster. And so whether it cost a lot of money and, and did that same thing, you got a placebo effect. Beware of that. Beetroot juice is a you know fairly simple one. Again, it comes from a from an actual food. I'm I'm kind of a fan of that. I'm not a big fan of some of these crazy isolated you know weird things um, that are out there. And so, key thing if you're using that, make sure you know how that works and you're circulating uh, levels of of uh, NO. It takes about two and a half hours typically to hit. So you know when I see people chugging like a, a beet juice at the start line, like well that's not going to work very well for you. <laughs> right. You've totally missed yeah missed the yeah. possible benefits of that. So kind of interesting. Rebecca, you have any thoughts? Yeah, I've sort of gone, there isn't a magic pill and I've moved a lot more towards just trying to eat really well um, and eating less things in packages and, you know, making, making a lot of my own food and smoothies, those kinds of things. I, I know it's hard, especially traveling to, to get everything that you need. I definitely travel with some green powders and, things like that, some protein drinks that are can help me when I'm on the road, but really at home, um, other than a multivitamin and, and, and vitamin D and a fish oil, those are kind of my main supplements. Obviously, I, I, I'm a Red Bull athlete and, you know, full disclosure, I found Red Bull before I was a Red Bull athlete, but that is the one thing that I, I do find. And I found them when I was driving across country in my car and uh, it kept me awake a lot better than coffee. And so before the start of any race, I will do that. Or if I have a really early morning workout, um, because there is a different effect for me than caffeine to kind of wake up. And then I've had a really interesting experience this year with, with CBD oil for the first time and uh, a really interesting anti-inflammation effect. When I did the Dirty Kanza 350, um, I actually experimented with that a little bit after some research. And normally when I, that was a 26 and a half hour, 27 hour race for me. Um, And typically when I do an event that long, I get a lot of inflammation in my legs, which is obvious, you know, uh, for obvious reasons, because you're not stopping and you're not laying down or anything. Um, And I also typically have... Didn't you sit um, on that chaise lounge out there? I didn't get on... I For like... Well, I did for like 20 seconds. For a photo. I'm just kidding. Um, But I also typically have a lot of coughing, you know, and, and fluid in my lungs after breathing so hard for a long event like that. And... And I had neither of those things. And it was a, actually a pretty stunning experience. And so I am, I've been doing more research. And, and I, for me, at least, that in that situation, that did seem to really have a great anti-inflammatory effect. One other thing to add, I think, you know, personally, as a coach, a lot of times people come in and they're looking for a marginal gain. They're looking to a little bit of this here, a little bit of that there. And it's like, they're not taking care of all the bases first. So they're general, just straight up macronutrient intake and timing of what they take in just to fuel their workouts and recovery. If they're not doing that correctly, if they're not sleeping well, you know, all the pixie dust, like small, small gain stuff in a lot of cases is totally energy and time and money spent improperly rather than getting back to the basics first. Right. Agreed completely. 
Dial in the most advanced recovery for your body with Normatec's patented compression massage technology. Riders like Taylor Finney, Tom Skoinch, and the BMC racing team all rely on Normatec to get them through the daily grind of professional cycling. Normatec increases circulation, rejuvenates muscles, and reduces soreness so you can train harder and race faster. Stop by the Normatec tent at the Colorado Classic to try it for yourself and feel what everybody is talking about. So this next supplement is one that I'm very excited about. And I'll, I'll start with another little story. When my mom was pregnant with me, there were only two things she could eat that didn't make her sick. Pizza, yummy. Chocolate, definitely yummy. To this day, I could eat so much. I, I could eat those every day. But we're talking about chocolate. Chocolate can be a performance enhancing product supplement, not just chocolate. It's cocoa flavonoids or flavanols that are in the chocolate that uh, have the benefits. This is very exciting for me. My mom is a super, super athlete because she eats approximately three pounds of chocolate every day of her life. And I'm following in her footsteps. This is how I got through Dirty Kanza. This is how I did the hour record. This is my secret that we're talking about right now. As Chris's coach, never once did I put eat chocolate on his training plan. Training, I don't no, know where this no, is coming from. <laughs> this is my secret training method, not yours, mine. All I know is I had some, when I was staying at Chris's place uh, this week, I had some chocolate in my bag as my little uh, cheat and Chris ate it on me. <laughs> I know. I didn't eat the whole thing. You ate some of it. Of course. I, but I'm not exaggerating. Um, well, I am exaggerating about my mom and me a little bit, but I do love chocolate. And we're going to get into the science and the science is going to resemble what we talked about with beetroot juice. Why? Why? What person in their right mind would opt to eat beetroot juice over eating chocolate? Well, let's first just clarify, <laughs> no we're talking about cocoa. Yes, true. And if you ever tried to consume 100% cocoa, you're not going <laughs> to say, that's the best dessert ever. I need to eat more of this. See, it's the baker's chocolate, that is almost as close. I can eat that and I love it. That's how much I like chocolate. It does the, That bitter taste, it, it's fine by me. So let's move on. My, my favorite part of this podcast is there. I'm just, I'm starting to understand Chris. <laughs> you should meet my parents. Then you'd understand me more. <laughs> I think that's true of anybody. That is true. You're right. You're right. Everybody's parents are just messed up. I can't wait to meet your dad, Trevor. Well, he's looking forward to meeting you. <laughs> okay, good. So let's talk a little bit about the science of cocoa flavonoids. Okay. And Ryan, you left your dad out of this, is there? Yeah, I did. But he would be a big chocolate eater, too, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that might explain. <laughs> okay, so chocolate flavanols or flavonoids, which are a type of polyphenol. And how many big words can we use? And I'll throw them all in. When we're talking about chocolate. The research in this is really interesting. I've actually been reading a lot about it um, for other research that I am doing. And there are, I'm not, I promised Chris I wouldn't go too deep into this, but there are actually a lot of health benefits to the, these cocoa flavanols. Uh, they are a very powerful antioxidant. Uh, they have big anti-inflammatory effects. They seem to reduce many of the, you know, we look at your, your markers of inflammation. 
Okay, Chris gave me a look, so I have to throw a few out. Cox 2, IL-6, NF Kappa Beta. Do you want me to keep going? <laughs> no. I'll give you a TNF Alpha if you really want it. <laughs> Absolutely. I love my... Yes. These cocoflavanols seem to reduce these markers of inflammation. And there is a lot of research, and I won't go down this rabbit hole, but there is a lot of research out there showing that they seem to have anti-cancer properties and they seem to have anti-heart disease properties. They haven't done too many human studies yet. They've done a lot of animal studies that are really showing some benefits. Certainly in humans, they have demonstrated this reduction in inflammation. Both cancer and heart disease are inflammatory diseases. So there's something really cool about this. But wouldn't it be fun to work? I mean, if you're going to work in a lab testing animals, which, you know, I understand some people don't like that, but working with like a population of rats and just giving them chocolate all day? Rats will like you. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be fun. So, but that... Let's talk about the, I, I could talk for a long time about these, these anti-inflammatory effects, but let's go into uh, the sports performance uh, benefits. There, there's a few. Uh, first, it seems that these flavanols do promote lipolysis, so you're, it improves your ability to use fat for fuel. And again, any sort of oxidative stress defense mechanisms can be helpful for both recovery and, and performance. More importantly, uh, the studies have been doing on cocoflavanols and uh, uh, performance enhancement is a particular flavanol, and I'm going to totally butcher the pronunciation of this, is epicatechin. I'm not looking at it, so I can't correct you, but I'm, I'm guessing you said it totally wrong. I, I know I said it totally <laughs> wrong. <laughs> I, I'm sure some several scientists somewhere just felt a cold chill go down their spine for Epica- that pronunciation. Epicatechin? Quite, that sounds better. I don't know. That sounds much I'm better. I'm guessing because I'm not looking at it, but yeah. But it, either way, it promotes our, our, our cells to release nitric oxide. And that's why we chose to talk about this right after talking about beetroot juice, because essentially where beetroot juice, you actually consume the nitrates, which eventually convert to nitric oxide. Uh, cocoflavonoids seem to promote your body's production of nitric oxide. But the performance benefits seem to be basically the same. So you see these, one, you see this improvement in efficiency, so lower oxygen consumption of mm. the same workload. Uh, the other benefit that you see that we forgot to mention with the uh, beetroot juice is it seems to uh, improve time to exhaustion. Mm. So they've done a lot of studies with people riding at about, say, 70, 80% of VO2 max, and they can go longer when they consume beetroot juice or the cocoflavonoids. I haven't seen a ton of studies on this with the, on the performance enhancement, but I did read one where they saw these benefits. Um, some were significant. Some didn't quite reach significance. But they were doing this with nine cyclists between the two groups, which means that's a really low number. It's yeah. hard to get significance. Yeah. But they were seeing in the neighborhood of, of like 15, 20% improvements. Well, one thing we have to be quite clear about is we're not talking about just any kind of chocolate. We're not talking about going out and getting Milky Ways and Snickers bars. So Ryan, tell us a little bit more about what we're talking about when we're talking about the best form of, uh, or, or way to get your cocoa flavonoids. Right. So it's, it's really, uh, just getting the good stuff is really the key, you know, looking for the, uh, yeah, 90 plus percentage cocoa 
chocolate, you know, it's dark the, chocolate, yeah. dark chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like we said, the Milky Way, the milk chocolate Hershey bars, it's not those. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so we, we look for that, that higher percentage and, uh, and yeah, the dose, uh, is about 40 grams that, that we're doing in there. So we're looking for the dark chocolate variety where we're 90 plus percent dark chocolate and comparing that to the amount of flavonoids you get in uh, milk chocolate, for example, lower percentage, the dark chocolate, you'll get about six times more. And then if we go further beyond that, we get 20 times more flavonoids from a cocoa powder. So we want to try to find those the best sources possible for the, for the chocolate ingestion. Mm-hmm. Are there any other sources of this compound without it being a uh, chocolate based? I mean, Sorry? There are three. Oh, okay. Uh, green tea, wine, and cocoa. Okay. So cocoa was at a whole magnitude order better mm-hmm. than the other two. Interesting. Which is a bummer for me. I love tea. <laughs> well, well you, dr- you have to drink gobs and gobs of tea to get the same effect. Is that, yeah. that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that goes to, there were all those studies about the reversatol in wine and how that's going to make you live forever and it's really good for you. So everybody said, oh, great, I got to drink wine every day. And then somebody finally put out the study of how much wine you had to drink to get a uh, actual, to actually see the benefits. And it was in the order of gallons per day. Yeah, well, some people would be uh, excited about that, but that wouldn't be so healthy. Now would it? No, it would not. 40 grams of chocolate a day. That's totally reasonable. I think everybody should um, try it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Again, if you had a choice between beets and chocolate, I got to say, one's one's a clear winner. I just can't get this picture out of my head of of Leonard in a bathtub. Well, that's a great great picture. Covered in beetroot juice. And and that's actually, for some reason, wanting me to tend towards the beetroot direction. (laughs) This just what, sounds like fun. What if you took the two and put them together? Chocolate beets, doesn't it? It does. I, I think it improves. It hey, improves you've the got beets. Beets in my chocolate. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not remember that commercial from the seventies. No Reese's pe- uh, Reese's cups. Oh, you got yeah. peanut butter in my chocolate? There, no, yeah. you got chocolate on my peanut butter. <laughs> oh, God, am I that old? <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. You are. Okay. Hey, Ryan, how old are you? Not old enough, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Thing on the beets, the it reminded me when you said combining them that um, my wife just got a package of dried beets, and I haven't, I don't know how much is in those relative to hmm. root juice. Have you seen anything in that? So it's I mean, just I mean, a, I, it's like a, 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 a dehydrated beet dehydrated chunk, beet. or yeah, and it's actually pretty tasty. Really, but I would assume the amounts are it would take same thing. It would take hmm. pounds and pounds. Well, I mean, to get there, but, but if it's dehydrated, it's in a concentrated form wonder, in a sense. Yeah. Yes, might be beneficial. And you and you say that they're actually kind of tasty. They were tasty. Did you fall on your head recently? No, maybe (laughs) there was chocolate around at the same time. But (laughs) I'm telling you, combine those two. Wow, we just passed the holidays. You want to make the worst holiday candy ever? Let's have beets covered in 99% dark (laughs) chocolate. See if anybody would actually eat that. And sprinkle some ketone esters on that while you're at it. <laughs> we got our trifecta. <laughs> the ultimate candy for any cyclist. <laughs> With a side of pickle juice? <laughs> actually, right. when I was a kid, I did eat chocolate-covered pickles just to gross people out. Huh. You didn't cramp at all, did That's you? That's why I became a cyclist. <laughs> <laughs> you knew. You knew all of these things were going to come back one day. Yeah. All right. 
This remind this next supplement reminds me of uh, lunch at high school or something. The, the the box, the small box of chocolate milk that would come with every bad meal served by the lunch ladies. But uh, we're talking science here today, so so let me throw it over to Ryan now and uh, talk a little bit about the science of of chocolate milk. Tell us, good, bad, otherwise. Good overall is uh, is great. Yeah, yeah, do, do, really... do you notice this trend? We start with nitric oxide, which takes us to cocoa <laughs> flavonoids, which is chocolate. Which mm-hmm. now we're at chocolate milk. Mm-hmm. See where we're taking you? We it's, are. It's this whole direction. And it's a, and today. it's a, been a journey through my childhood too, with all the stories <laughs> I've had about food products. Yeah. Anyways, and in this chocolate story, I guess we're it's maybe not the best source of chocolate for our flavonoids, but. Uh, but as far as recovery nutrition goes, it's a pretty good choice where we get uh, we get the protein, carbohydrates, and you get that good ratio of carbohydrate to protein in that four to one. And so it really has all the components of good nutrition for post-exercise. And uh, we get the sodium, we get the additional fluid. Like I said, we get carbohydrate and protein in there. But in reality, the chocolate milk, while we get all of those nutrients that we need for post-exercise recovery, it's it's essentially the same thing as a lot of the expensive recovery beverages out there and powders. Quite literally, because a lot of those powders for their protein use whey protein, which they get from, from milk. And we, uh, you know, we'll see with the research around it, we, we'll see that the recovery is just as good with uh, chocolate milk as some of the more expensive products out there. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I feel like chocolate milk is sort of, it's been popping its head up a lot over the years. It sort of keeps coming around and around again and sort of falls out of favor and then we bring it back, which I think is a good thing because it's it, it's always there and it's always an easy, uh, easy source of nutrition for us post-exercise. Yeah. That brings up the question, Ryan, how important is a recovery mix or um, what, you know, the, the, that first meal after a workout or a race? Right. Yeah. And really in the big picture, it's not that important to have a specific mix of something. You know, chocolate milk is an easy go-to, um, but really it, it's, it's getting food in. What I always recommend to my athletes is post-exercise, if they're going to have some kind of a normal meal coming in, they're probably going to get everything that they need, you know, and going back to that, that sort of food first approach is, uh, is what I subscribe to. And, um, you know, if they're in a pinch where they can't access it, or in the case of, uh, student athletes, I see this a lot with, you know, high schoolers that are running from class to practice to then going home, um, you know, chocolate milk may be a great option for them, something quick and easy. Mm-hmm. And then they get to that meal that'll sustain them. But, um, but over the long term, as long as we're fueling the body and, and giving it consistent, good nutrition, it'll, it'll end up pretty much in the same. You'll end up recovered in the end. Sure. Yeah. I mean, really the most important thing with a recovery mix is, is replenishing those carbohydrates and also any sort of electrolyte loss. Um, so if you have an event four or five hours later, these mixes, again, can be helpful because mm-hmm. they're going to help speed up that glycogen replenishment. But when you're talking about 24 hours later, they've actually done studies where they compare taking an athlete, having them do all the current science on recovery with the best recovery mixes and, and the correct order of everything versus eat ad libitum. They're in the same place 24 hours later. And one of my all-time favorite studies was one where they uh, th- this had to be really surly researchers. <laughs> Because they compared a, a proper recommended recovery approach to nutrition to having another group of athletes eat McDonald's. Mm-hmm. And once again, next day, 24 hours later, 
glycogen replenishment was the same. Our, you know, the RPE was the same when they were exercising everything. They were not promoting eat McDonald's. Yes, their let's point be clear. was <laughs> right. Their point was just more. If you're worried about the next day, you're wasting a lot of money on these very expensive products. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We might save this for a future podcast, but uh, if you want to talk about my opinion of whether adults should be consuming milk, uh, I could be quite lengthy on this one and probably upset a lot of people. So let's move on. All right. Very good. So the next supplement we want to talk about is a slightly different category in that it's not a food like the others have been. It's um, ketone esters. And um, Trevor and I recorded a lengthy podcast months ago uh, on the ketogenic diet, and the two are related. And uh, we'll start sort of catch everybody out there listening up to speed about the ketogenic diet and the sort of the, the scientific underpinnings of that diet. So Trevor, take it away. Yeah, we did actually get a lot of feedback on that episode, and I certainly got uh, a few bits of criticism. Um, Probably didn't speak up enough in that episode, and that was totally my fault. So there are a few things to add. And I would say, if you want to fully understand, we're not going to dive deep into the ketogenic diet right now. So I'll just say that the gist of it is, it's a very low carbohydrate diet. When your body's in a carbohydrate starved state, um, it will actually convert fats to ketones. And there are some demonstrated health benefits to, to, to ketones. So Dr. Noakes, who was our guest, talked a lot about that. It does seem to help with uh, insulin sensitivity. It helps diabetics. It helps with obesity. And there's actually some anti-cancer properties to it. So there are, certainly in the short run, some benefits to it. As a long-term dietary solution, though, there are some serious issues with it. Uh, one, basically, the, the two big ones are nutrient deficiencies and renal acid loads. So I'll just take two minutes to explain these before we get into the ketone esters. In terms of nutrient deficiencies, because you are significantly reducing your fruits and vegetable consumption, uh, you are not going to be getting nearly enough potassium in your diet. Um, and our potassium to sodium ratio in our diet is really, really important. And it is already out of balance with the North American diet. And typical ketogenic diets, that's actually going to be worse. It's worth reminding people that it's low in those two things, fruits and vegetables, because those are high in carbohydrates. Not high, but they're a source of carbohydrates. People might not think of that uh, normally, but that's why they're so low in a ketogenic diet. Ketogenic diet, you're eating a lot of fatty foods. So you're avoiding anything with carbohydrates. Something else that's really important is magnesium. Um, And that's critical for heart health. And so there is some research showing that people on a long-term ketogenic diet, um, well, in the short run, it can actually have benefits for the heart. It can have negative consequences on on heart health in the long run. Same thing with folate. Um, There's a very important cycle in our body called the the folic acid cycle. Uh, And as the name implies, folate is very important to it, and it affects heart health. In terms of the renal acid loads, foods are either, they they classified foods in terms of whether they are acidifying or whether they're alkalizing. Your really acidifying foods are particularly a lot of your dairy products like cheese. Meats are acidifying, um, but a lot of your fatty foods are acidifying. The ones that are really alkalizing uh, are your fruits and vegetables. And that's, that's a very short summary. But essentially with ketogenic diet, you're eating a lot of foods that have a net acid load and eliminating a lot of foods that have a a net alkalizing uh, load. Um, And that is going to cause problems. And one of the biggest one, and this is really important for cyclists, 
is what causes osteoporosis is an acidifying diet. It's not lack of calcium in our diet. Calcium is a, a way of increasing pH. So when your, your blood gets highly acidic or gets a little bit acidic, your body leaches calcium from your bones. And there's plenty of research showing that uh, people on a ketogenic diet um, have bone issues. And cyclists, since this is a non-load-bearing sport, uh, we already have issues with osteoporosis. You don't want to add to that. So that can get dangerous. Ron, you want to contribute to that? Sure, yeah. I think, like you said, those short-term benefits for health can't be understated. I think the keto diet comes in as a good, as a good tool to utilize in certain respects. But, um, you know, looking at it from the performance aspect and, you know, what, what we see in the lab, for example, is we'll see that some athletes come in and they might be on a keto diet and actually can be well adapted to it and perform fine. Um, other athletes, we just find that getting to that point can be very difficult. <clears throat> and uh, some of the research is, some, well, some of the criticism around the research is suggesting that, oh, well, the, the adaptation phase wasn't long enough. And uh, so there wasn't enough time to actually get to that point. But when we think about it practically too, you know, it's, I see that if someone's three, four, five weeks into say a keto diet approach and they're just miserable, they're probably not going to be doing a lot of other things very well in life. And it's just not a fun place to be. <laughs> so, so, you know, trying to encourage some way to find balance, you know, and then that also leads to their ability to perform as athletes where, um, I'm in more of the agreement with the thought of, you know, we need carbohydrates to perform at a high intensity. And I think there's that common example of like the ultra endurance runners that go on a ketogenic diet and some of them perform well. And there's a good study that did a lot, looked long-term and uh, Trevor, you might, or you probably know the name of this one that I'm forgetting, but I think it was a six or 12 month adaptation study. And they actually found they performed well in a keto diet. They adapted. It was a small group of runners, but, um, but it well, went well for them. So, so that adaptation that, phase is a, the, Dr. Noakes, when we had him um, join us, that was his big point, that a lot of these negative studies, they just weren't on the diet long enough. That mm -hmm. it takes, So that initial couple months are pretty miserable and performance is going to drop. But if you do it over the long term, you will actually see performance come back up, yeah. potentially improve. That was his argument. Right. Yeah, that's the, that's the part that I think we can uh, struggle with, too, is we see if someone comes in and they're just out of balance with, with life and trying to manage that, if, if this approach, while it might get them somewhere six, 12 months down the road, if it just, if it's too hard to manage right there, then yeah, maybe it's not the best thing. So that's kind of where I sort of back away from it. And we focus on other things, bringing in some more, you know, fruits and vegetables and focusing on those colorful foods to say, Hey, well, this will support you in health and it'll support you as an athlete. And then, uh, just a different path. But that's one of the reasons why ketone esters, as opposed to going on a full bore ketone diet might actually have the benefits without the, the the detrimental effects of the adaptation process and some of these nutritional deficiencies that it leads to. Right. Yeah. And the ketone esters, I mean, yeah, it's an acute supplement that you can take and, uh, and you can experience some of those same benefits where you can get your body essentially into that state of ketosis and experience some of those benefits. So let me, let me pause you right there. Why would somebody want to have ketones as a fuel source? What's the benefit of, of, of having them in your system? So yeah, then it's, it's more the efficiency of the fuel source it becomes just a very efficient way for the body to use that, that fuel and, and create energy for exercise. So Trevor, do you want to chime in on this one too? Well, it's, it's, it's simply with, with the ketone bodies. When they talk about the different fuels that your body uses, carbohydrates, proteins, fats, they each have an efficiency, which is basically 
how much ATP, which is our our key molecule of energy, for lack of a better term, um, you can produce uh, per liter of oxygen consumed. And ketone bodies are more efficient than fat, more efficient than carbohydrate. So you can produce a lot of ATP without requiring very much oxygen. So highly, highly efficient is one of the benefits. So if you're, you're taking a ketone ester, putting it into your body, drinking it, whatever you do, does your body naturally just start using that? Or is there competition between ketones and carbohydrate molecules and fat molecules for your body to use as a fuel source? From my understanding, and it seems like the studies that were done, those ketone bodies are preferentially utilized which is why you can, with the supplements that are out there, it's meant to be an acute thing where it relatively quickly puts your body into that ketotic state and allows you to become more efficient in how you create that energy. Would you agree, Trevor? Yeah. That's one of the other benefits is it, they say it's glycogen sparing. So your body's going to preferentially use it over uh, glycogen. Though other people, such as Dr. Holly, are going to argue you then actually lose your ability to effectively use carbohydrates when you're going really hard. So you, you lose that high intensity. Mm. Likewise, it also spares your body's use of regular triglycerides, your, your, the, the primary fat that you're going to burn during exercise or lipid that you're going to burn during exercise. But there's also the potential that the, the ketone bodies reduce lipolysis, so you actually have less availability of your endogenous uh, fat stores. And so again, still is, some questions. Yeah, is this one that you would have right before an event? Is there a timing component here? Do you know? From the studies that I've seen, this seems like it would be a, almost immediately before event. I think one thing to note, and, and again, I have not tried these. I know that they're maybe hot, trendy right now. They're expensive, relatively speaking. They're, they're certainly more expensive than 40 grams of chocolate or a carton of chocolate milk. So these are one that take a little bit of an investment to try. And uh, I don't, are there any side effects? Does it uh, hurt uh, digestive tract or are there any things that people have to look out for um, in terms of side effects? So I am looking at a diagram that shows all the pros and cons of uh, ketone ester supplementation. They have right here GI tract, uh, GI discomfort with a big question mark, absorption of other nutrients with a big question mark. Mm. And if you read the review, they basically say that's one of the questions. Yeah. Also, on the, is they have palatability with a question mark, dose with a question mark, timing with a question mark, esters versus salts with a question mark, mm. co-ingestion with carbohydrates is a question mark. So basically what you're getting here is there, there's certainly some evidence of, of benefit, but really in the early days and they, they haven't figured out a lot yeah. of these questions yeah. yet. All right. So, so you and I have to uh, – this is another – line of experimentation for you and I, well, maybe you in this so case. So we, we've now gotten it down to, we're going to take our little things of beets, beetroot powder. De- dehydrated beets covered uh, in chocolate. Covered in 99% chocolate yep. that we're going to co-consume with ketone esters. Yes. And that's going to be our diet. Yes. I've heard that ketone esters taste and smell like nail polish remover. Is that true? Is that in the study? <laughs> Are they... I've never smelled them. Okay. I don't well, really want to now. Chris, the only answer I can give you is if this is if this is a two month guinea pig experiment that we're going to do, I am going to have no friends left. <laughs> You're going to get a little, are you going to get a little gassy? 
<laughs> I'm going to get a whole lot of things, and none of them are going to be good. Migraines and <laughs> diarrhea, and it's going to be a I mess. might set You're the not... record up Flagstaff, but who's going to care by that point? <laughs> Your chamois are going to be gross. You're not staying at my house anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm losing all my... Dark chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even consider the other stuff, unless it's beetroot covered in chocolate, sprinkled with ketone ester uh, sprinkle jimmies, jimmy things. Who, you, you can get ketones do, do you know in jimmies? a salt form. Jimmies. Yeah. Oh. So we cover it in salt. Dark chocolate ketone with salt. a little uh, ketone, not not himal, pink Himalayan sea salt, but ketone ester salt, salt or ketone salts. Where's Colby when we need him? This little <laughs> sprinkling of. <laughs> yes. In a soup, in a, in a broth of uh, chocolate milk and pickle juice. Okay, that was hopefully a very helpful episode of, uh, of Fast Talk with the worst take-home yeah, I think we have ever I don't think we're going to get too many sponsors out of this episode. <laughs> Unless Nestle, you're listening, or Hershey's, you're listening. Does Hershey actually make dark chocolate? I guess they make special dark. Uh, Lint makes a Lint, 99%. Lint, 99. It's four it almost, the bar. It almost seems like it would fall apart because what's holding it together? Not much. <laughs> That was another episode of Fast Talk. As always, we love your feedback. Email us at fasttalk at velonews.com. Subscribe to Fast Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Be sure to leave us a rating and a comment. While you're there, check out our sister podcast, The Velo News Podcast. Become a fan of Fast Talk on Facebook at facebook.com slash velonews and on Twitter at twitter.com slash velonews. Fast Talk is a joint production between Velo News and Connor Coaching. Thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. For Trevor Connor, Ryan Kohler, I'm Chris Case. Thanks for listening.